How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. For the draft philosophy, it's really to understand uh, how to tie evaluation with valuation. When and where to pick certain players on the board and have that feel is important to me. I believe in building the foundation with offensive linemen and defensive linemen. And obviously supporting our quarterback with giving him the most weapons that we can possible. Bears new GM Ryan Poles discussing his thoughts and methods on building a championship team and what to do for Justin Fields and his offense. Right now we are going to get right back out to our score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas home of the world's largest sports book, and welcome in my buddy Eric Edholm. Eric, of course, the NFL and draft expert, or a NFL and draft expert. I shouldn't say the. There's a lot of them over there at yahoosports.com, and uh, always great to get to visit with Eric. How are you doing tonight, buddy? It's funny you say that because the draft season, everybody just looks and says, all right, you guys, you're going to steer the ship for the next three months, right? And I go, yeah, I guess so. But, yeah, it's, uh, we, we have lots of folks working on lots of different things. So I'm doing well, man. I was uh, following you uh, at times via Twitter and more at Yahoo. Uh, I know that you uh, had some time in Mobile. I know from all our years together, it's one of your more favorite trips. Uh, what did you yeah. learn uh, down in Alabama this year? Yeah, I mean, everyone starts with the quarterbacks. I mean, look, it's it's not going to be one of those years where there's a slam dunk top 10 pick. But, you know, would it shock me if Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett or somebody ended up in that range? No. And both look pretty good to varying degrees last week. But, you know, from a broader perspective, and I, I think some of these quarterbacks get a little too much uh, uh, of a hard time from, from, uh, from folks out there. They're not bad. There's, there's not a bad one out there. There's maybe not a great one, but uh, the position that kind of blew me away was the defensive line and, you know, the tackles and ends together. I thought it was a, a, a really good performance overall. Jermaine Johnson, Florida State, Boye Mafe from up in Minnesota, I thought really finished the week strong. You know, I mean, some of the D tackles like Travis Jones at UConn, it was just different sizes and shapes. Logan Hall, kind of a big, longer guy, you know, he's got that five technique look to him from Houston. He could be a late first round pick. I think that was the most loaded position. Some of the tackles on offense were okay, not great, but. They're facing some premier defensive line talent. I think that was probably a big reason why. You know, I, I actually was just writing about the quarterbacks today, and it's interesting because I, I think that there could be only one, maybe two in the first round. There could be four or five. 
but I would be very surprised uh, if any of them went in the top 10, so to speak. I, I think Pickett will almost certainly go first. And what I really came down to, Eric, is that while there is draftable first-round talent, I don't think there is one in this draft that would have been rated ahead of the five that went in the top 15 last year. Would you yep. disagree or agree with that? 100%. In fact, I, I had that very discussion with somebody in the league, uh, an evaluator, probably around November. I said, would, would any of these guys have cracked last year's, you know, knowing what we know now, and this was, you know, three quarters of the way through the college football season, would any of them be able to go that, you know, to have gone in the top 15 with last year's quarterbacks? And, and he said, I don't think so. Uh, Willis is the one who, if you watched him play, you see the flash plays. I mean, he has got a, a big league arm. I wouldn't say it's quite on Josh Allen's level, but it's not far off. I mean, he can shoot it. Uh, he's got athleticism, kind of an unusual build, built more like, uh, you know, uh, David Montgomery than a, than a quarterback, right? He's sort of a thickly built guy, almost like a power running back. Um, and, you know, his accuracy, his timing, his precision, his footwork, it can look a little little wonky at times and that's you know a similar type of player Jalen Hurts fell to what the 52nd pick but this year if somebody fell in love with him it wouldn't completely stun me to see a based on traits based on upside pick somewhere in the early part of round one it may not happen but it may and Pickett is more of your you know sure thing higher floor he may not be a special quarterback. I don't think he's Joe Burrow. But, you know, that, that, that reliability factor in a year where, you know, maybe Aaron Rodgers doesn't change teams. Maybe Russell Wilson doesn't get traded. It could raise the level of anxiety for a quarterback needy team like the Panthers or the Steelers or whoever else. So you never know. I mean, it, the closer we get to draft day, the more likely those guys get pushed up, the board goes up, I think. But, you're right. In a typical cycle, maybe not. So, as I and I have really just started to dig in, but yeah. as I look at it, it looks to me, you mentioned defensive line. More specifically, I really think the first two rounds are going to be dominated by the edge rushers and the wide receivers. Those, those appear to be the two strongest and deepest at the high-end positions to me. Um, uh, would you agree with that? And, and, you know, as we look locally for the bears, I don't think they're going to be looking for edge rushers, but God knows they're desperate for wide receivers and there should be good ones in the second round. I think so. I think you nailed it. I think those are those in cornerback, I would say would be another position. The corners I think are one of the stronger groups we've had in recent years, maybe not the strongest, but the depth is, is, is pretty choice, I think. And, and, you know, compared to typical years, where, you know, you see players drafted who, you know, I wouldn't have put a drafted draftable grade on, but the position carries so much need. So that's another spot that I could see populating the first, you know, 60, 70, 80 picks pretty, uh, pretty frequently. But yeah, receiver is going to be, you know, we've been spoiled the last two years with two incredible receiving groups, right? And we've seen Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith and other rookie standouts. I don't know that we're quite going to get the same year one impact as we did from either of those classes, you know, and there were misses in that group too, but the depth was pretty unbelievable in both. It's just a shade below that, but I would still say, you know, you look back over the past 10 years or so, you would put this group, you know, up against almost any other draft except the 20 and 21 draft. So 
right in that sweet spot too. I think where the bears first choice is there should be some really talented options on the board. And what complicates that position, just a little hub, Justin Ross at Clemson, you know, has some serious medical red flags. Jamison Williams from Alabama, the speedster, torn ACL. John Mechie, his teammate, another injury. You know, uh, Drake London had an ankle injury to finish the year. The USC kid who's getting a lot of buzz. There's injuries are, are going to push a really talented receiver down a little bit. And maybe you get a first-round talent in the mid-second or something like that. You know, on the flip side, um, and again, this is going to change 10 times in the next couple months as we get to the combine pro days and, and, and more. You know, we've got nine coaching staffs that, that haven't even gone to work yet. So um, yeah. uh, the rankings will change. But right now, not nearly as impressed uh, with the offensive tackles and the offensive line in general as I have been the last couple of years. There, there's been a lot of talent the last couple of years. Last year was a very good year at offensive tackle. Uh, this year you got Neil and, and, and you know a few other uh, you know high-end prospects, but it doesn't appear either as good at the top or as deep. And then when you get to the interior, to the guards in the centers, uh, I mean, Tyler Lindenbaum may be the best center prospect we've seen in, in two decades, but he also may be the only one to go in the first two days. Uh, it, it doesn't look like that that offensive line has the depth it's had recently. Yeah, I, I have a little higher opinion of the group, but I, I understand what you're saying. It, it, it could drop off pretty quickly. You know, at the top, you're right. Evan Neal has a, has a chance, Pete, maybe to be the first pick in the draft if the Jaguars say, all right, you know, protecting Trevor Lawrence is our, is our top priority, and we think that highly of him. He's, a, he's an absurd athlete for – you know, a guy who's you know, six seven, three fifty five or whatever he is. Uh Ikamekwanu, I think, is is really gonna be a riser once we get to the combine and once, you know, we sort of get into the swing of draft season here, the kid from uh, NC State, I think he has a chance to be a top five pick and he's just straight up nasty. You know, he's not quite as big or long, but he's got that road grader mentality and also some good feet to to pass protect. Trevor Penning was uh, the kid from Northern Iowa. I don't know if there are any uh, UNI grads listening, but you know he's sort of been the the the, the, the talk of Mobile the last week. Nasty demeanor. I mean, really, your Taylor Decker type lineman, and uh, had a good week. He plays beyond the whistle, which I think could, could come back to haunt him. But he's got some some real left tackle potential, and, and I think it's going to be a first round pick. Charles Cross, you know Bernard Raymond. After that, you know, then you're taking. Like the kid from Minnesota, Daniel Faalele, who's you're really gambling on the traits. The kid's six foot eight plus, you know, three hundred and eighty pounds. Other than Trent Brown, I can't think of too many guys that size. And there are times he looked good in Mobile. There were times when he got overwhelmed with quickness. So where do you put a guy like that? I mean, he's probably a right tackle. And would I spend a first round pick on him? If I felt like I had a great O-line coach, you could get the best out of them, maybe. But you're right. There's 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 a lot of potential in that group, a lot of questions as well. Eric, I, I'm curious. What, what Where did you see Tevin Jenkins fitting last year? Uh, I mean, as we talk about some of these guys, because the, the, the decision the Bears have to make, I think Larry Borum is going to start somewhere in the NFL for the next eight, nine, ten years. Now, whether that's mm-hmm. left tackle, right tackle, or guard, I'm not sure. You know? but, yeah. uh, but with Jenkins we didn't really get to see anything last year. I mean, it was, yeah. it was pretty much a lost year. And, and I, the, the people I was talking to mostly loved him at right tackle. I didn't hear anybody, you know, talking much about left tackle. And yet the Bears immediately committed him there. Um, and since we didn't learn much this year, go back a year if you can. 
What was the, the kind of the consensus on him? Yeah, and I think, you know, he played left tackle earlier in his career and then switched over to the right side. And I think from my understanding, part of it was, you know, they, they felt like he would do a better job at right tackle than their second team right tackle would do versus having the second team left tackle promoted. So it was more of like a, uh, you know, this is our best five kind of thing. And I think they were afraid putting the, the young kid in his, his would-be replacement. So that was part of it. There was the medical aspect, obviously, that complicated things. I think he probably would have been a, a first-round pick. Somebody would have taken a chance on him in the 20s uh, had there been a cleaner medical report on him. But, yeah, I, like you, I probably would have said, you know, given that he played a couple of years, really two and a half years at right tackle, I want to say, uh, that was probably the position he was most likely to contribute at right away. But left tackle would have been option two. And with Borum, I mean, you know, so fact I am a Mizzou grad, so I did kind of see him. I mean, he was such a massive guy in college. I know he slimmed down quite a bit. You know, my fear was that, especially after some of his workouts were, you know, the numbers were not you know, paled in comparison to some of the higher picks. Maybe you have to stick him at right guard. You know, that was my thinking. But the fact that he came in, you know, in much better shape than I think some people expected and slimmed down and, and showed that agility. And I think he played every position except center at Mizzou. You know, it was it was a little harder picking the spot for him. But if I had to guess, I would have said guard. But, again, the length is there. And, and now that he's, you know, in, in a better body, I think the tackle is not out of the question as we've seen so far. So, I don't know. I don't know what the future is, and that's going to be fascinating. New staff, new set of eyes, you know, different evaluators who may have had different opinions from uh, than the Bears uh, group from a year ago. So, you know, that's what's kind of fun is when you see players who, you know, we haven't really made our minds up on how good they are, then they get a new a new look from a different group, and and maybe it can help kind of revital, uh, you know, perk their careers up a little bit. One more position, and then I'll let you go. And I think it's somewhere where the Bears are going to have a need that nobody's focused on. Um, you know, in recent years, these undersized inside linebackers have just dominated the Defensive Rookie of the Year awards and and, and the All Rookie teams. And you know, they're everywhere. When when you look at, I mean, Fred Warner's not that old, but then you go to Roquan Smith and Devin White and Patrick Queen yeah. and Devin Bush. I mean, one after another, these kids keep coming out. Uh, Nicobe Dean looks like that kind of player to me. He certainly did in the playoffs. I didn't watch a lot of Georgia short of that. But again, this is another position where other than, than Dean and a couple guys at the top, uh, I'm not sure I see a, a ton of high-end depth. And, you know, if they don't bring back Alec Ogletree, and I don't know how Danny Trevathan is going to pass a physical at this point, and now yeah. they need three linebackers instead of two, and, 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 and Roquan Smith probably is a better fit at the will, uh, I wonder what you see in the linebacker group that might interest the Bears. Yeah, I, it's grown on me. This, you know, I'm like you. I at first, especially, you know, sort of the middle of the season, I thought other than Devin Lloyd at Utah, other than Nicobe Dean at Georgia, there just wasn't anybody exciting. Christian Harris at Alabama got a lot of buzz, started the year a little bit slowly, missed some tackles, missed some run fits. It was like, okay, this is this is frustrating. But as the season wore on, and the more people I talked to. I gain an appreciation for some other players too. Dean is really, you know, kind of like your 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 Derek Brooks type player. I mean, I'm just I'm going with a Hall of Famer, but right. I mean, you know, I mean that sort of will linebacker let him let him operate in space, but he could also play inside in a three four like you mentioned. He's probably even smaller than Roquan, I would say. 
but a heck of an athlete, nonstop motor, really good player, all going to be dependent on fit. If you like your, you know, your linebackers to be sort of jumbo safeties, he's your guy. If not, if you require a little more bulk, it's going to be a different type of player you're looking for there. But I'll throw one name out there that, that really kind of got a lot of buzz, Damone Clark from LSU. And, you know, I kind of went into the weekend or the week thinking day two pick, you know, good player, really emotional guy, smart, uh, you know, seems to be calling out plays before they happen, high effort, not super great in coverage. But down in Mobile, he looked really good in coverage, and he was getting a lot of buzz. And I think he might end up being a first-round pick, a later one, but, you know, somebody in that mix. Channing Tindall, the kid from Georgia, <laughs> didn't start a game there because they had so much depth. He looked good. Uh, there were a few more. I mean, Brian Osamoa from, from Oklahoma, to me, is one of the better sleepers at, at that position. And he fits that undersized, weak side, inside kind of guy who I think can you know, play in a fast, low defense and, and make a lot of plays. Who, who was the other kid at Georgia? I think it was 44. Was it Walker? Clay Walker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, another really good player. I mean, they were so loaded. It, and that was part of the reason why I wanted to see some of those players down there, Hub, because when you have that talented defense, you say to yourself, you know, are they all benefiting from each other? Of course, right? You know, the, 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 the penetration up front that makes it easier in the coverage and the linebackers, et cetera. But really, I didn't see anybody from Georgia down there who disappointed me. It wasn't like they were hiding anybody, right? So uh, I was – these are great individual talents as well. And Walker's, I think, maybe not the, the, you know, the best of that group, but I think he deserves a lot of mention as well. Eric, a lot of knowledge there. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for getting us our, our intro primer. That's really where we're at right now yeah. as we get ready for the draft. Uh, I'm glad the trip went well for you. I hope everybody is well at home. I appreciate your time tonight, and I will look forward to visiting again real soon. Sounds good, Hub. See ya. That is Eric at home, a must-follow at yahoosports.com. Guys, we've got a window for some more phone calls here, 312-644-6767. Whatever is on your mind at 8... Oh, Joe's coming up next. I'm sorry, Brandon. I, I, I've i got some Bulls talk coming. Joe Colley is, is one of my favorites, I, and I always get to visit with him. I thought that Joe was at 840, but I guess Joe is coming up next, and now I'm late getting to him. So i got to run to a break here. We will get some calls after we get done visiting with Joe, but right now let's take a quick commercial break. When we get back, it's Chicago Bulls talk right here at the home of the Bulls, 670 The Score, where you hear every Bulls game on the radio. We'll be talking with Joe Colley in just a moment right after this quick break. The ball movement, especially in that first half, was, I mean, don't even look at the assist, but it was beyond kind of stagnant. There was a lot of, seemed like, one-on-one and, and isolation. Did you see that? Did you talk to them at halftime about, you know, we still got some other guys out there, let's move the ball? It just seemed like you got really, especially in that second quarter, really isolated one-on-one. I thought that was a huge, huge problem for us. Um, we talked about it at halftime. I think seven assists for us, Joe, was really on the low side. Um, I think one of the things that ended up happening was our pace of play forced us to go ISO. There was no energy. We got back into the game there when we got down by, I don't know, it was 21, 22. We got right back in the game because we were playing downhill. We were getting into the paint, forcing rotations. We actually started the game that way. You know, we had some really good offensive possessions there the first five or six minutes of that first quarter. And to your point, I thought we got overly stacked because what happened was everything we, I thought the reason why we got isolated was on movement plays. We didn't move with enough force and pace. 
That was Joe Colley of the Chicago Sun-Times asking Bulls head coach Billy Donovan a question about the game last night. We now have Joe ready to join us to talk about all things Chicago Bulls NBA. Got some questions of my own for him. The top of the hour is brought to you by DuckDuckGo, Privacy Simplified. And I now welcome in Joe Colley. We'll get our, uh, our, our required Steelers talk at the end of the conversation. Uh, but I want to start first, Joe. I want to start by apologizing. I had the wrong time for you to come on, so I'm a couple minutes late. So forgive me for that. Um, uh, just picking up where you were talking to Billy Donovan last night. This team, I don't want to say they're limping to the All-Star break. Uh, they've dropped three of their last four. We know how banged up they've been. They're actually 6-6 six and six over their last 12 games, going back over the last three weeks or so. Um, and yet, I don't know, I almost have the feeling that it could be, maybe even should be worse if they weren't that much improved, both uh, on the bench with Donovan and with the talent on the court. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt they're crawling to this thing. Um, Bob, how are you doing first? Good, thank you. Good. Um, yeah, it, it's it's been ugly, and it's all been a lot of it's been the, the, on the defensive end. And you know, I know uh, this town is in the excuse-making business lately when it comes to the Bulls. And well, we don't have Caruso, we don't have Lonzo. Oh, okay, so someone else has to play defense, I guess. I, I guess if those two aren't playing, hell, let's just give up one thirty a night. So. You know, I think that's the thing that's the big issue right now is just the confusion and the lack of defensive intensity um, just because you're shorthanded some guys. You know, everybody's shorthanded this year. That, that, that's, that's the nature of the, the NBA beast this year. Um, everybody's shorthanded, and the good teams, the teams that really are worth a grain of salt come playoff time are getting over it for the most part. So, um yeah, I mean, and that was on full display this, the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I guess I should clarify. I say six and six the last three weeks, but that's following that four-game losing streak to Brooklyn, Golden State, Boston, and Memphis. You know, granted some real quality teams in there, but this six and ten stretch has kind of started to take the blush off the incredible start. Uh, and, and I do think that there is still, you know, some confidence in this basketball team, mainly from Billy Donovan's quotes the other day. Uh, where he said that, that they hope that they could even have Patrick Williams back before the end of the regular season. And, you know, ideally, if they got everybody back, at least for the last 8, 10, 11 games, that, that maybe now that team that we were seeing earlier in the year could actually do some damage in the playoffs. I, that, that doesn't seem unreasonable, does it? No, but a first round, I think they can definitely do some damage. But there's still an issue here. There's still an underlying issue that, I think they've had three or four games at full strength. They've lost to Miami at full strength. They've lost to uh, Philadelphia twice at full strength. And these are the teams you have to get past in that second round. And if you're going to mess around until you get those guys back, first of all, you don't know what those guys are going to be like when they do get back. You don't know what Patrick Williams is going to be like after missing most of the season. He's got to find a rhythm again. He's got to get his, you know, they got to blow his lungs out and get his wind back again. I mean, there's a lot of ifs. And then you're hoping that no one else gets injured, which really has, you know, I mean, uh, again, I mean, you know, you, you, you're just, you're asking for a lot of right to squeeze these guys all in the last couple of weeks of the regular season and everything is perfect come playoff time. So um, to me, there's two things that, that there's two ways you can do it. A, if you are going to stay pat by Thursday's trade deadline, 
then the guys that are currently out there and playing and are healthy just have to pick it up defensively and stop making excuses. Or B, you add what's been a glaring hole this entire season with or without Patrick Williams coming back, and that's a defensive-minded power floor that you can use to gobble up minutes in that second, third quarter so that you can go with your best starting five the last two, three minutes of a game, and it means something. And, hell, you know, I, you know, I had this discussion with Parsons and, and Spiegel the other night about how they've already got their five guys that they're going to close with. Yeah, they do. But if you can't get to that point in the game where it's a close game and you can put your five guys out there, who, who cares? So you need that guy that's going to gobble up minutes and help Booch off uh, defensively and kind of do the dirty work, block shots, be able to guard fours, be able to guard some fives. Um, you know, and the name I was throwing out there was Larry Nance Jr. And obviously that, that, that uh, fell apart today when Portland went and, and, and traded him and all the big deals that went down today. So, um, you know, it's just – to me, some guys really have to pick it up. The three all-stars play like all-stars on both ends of the ball, and that's, that's you know, Zach, Damar, and, and, and Booch. Yeah, you know, I guess Patrick Williams is the marquee name because of the, you know, the, the, the fourth overall pick in the draft and the excitement about him. But I, that, that to me was just what started the conversation. I'm not even thinking about him so much. It's just getting Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso back. And, and if Zach right. and could stay on the court – you know, it would be nice. And then Kobe White is back and playing well, and now he's out. Um, uh, I, I'm almost thinking about how good could they be, irrespective of Williams or not, if they could just get – When do, do you have any idea what the time frame is uh, on Ball and, and Caruso, when they might be expecting to get them back? So they were 6-8 to eight, uh, the time that they were going to have their surgery. Caruso had his surgery almost immediately after the Grayson Allen incident. Um, so we're looking at about a month for him, and that's going to be a reval in about a month. Um, that doesn't mean he's back in a month. That's a reval. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. is another one. He's probably about three weeks to a month from a reval with the finger. Um, and then Lonzo Ball, uh, same thing. He's, a, he's about a week behind Caruso, so we're talking about five weeks possibly uh, with a knee. And, again, that's going to be reevaluation, see where he is, see what's going on. You know, there's been no um, setbacks with any of them. Um, so they're, they're all looking at that time frame. The tricky one is going to be Patrick Williams. I, you know, I reported a couple of weeks ago that there was momentum building up that they thought they'd get him back early. And then Donovan finally confirmed that the other night, um, you know, and, and they're hoping for that seven to eight game regular season to get him in. He should be limited minutes. Um, and you're trying to just get him in a rhythm and bring him along. I don't even know if you'd bring him along as a starter, especially if the minutes are going to be in that 20 to 22. That's hard to start a guy like that. Um, that's a lot more sitting. Um, so, you know, you're uh, you're asking for a, a lot of things to go right. And that, that's just no one else gets hurt between now and then. So, um, you know, that that's why I'm interested to see, are they so in love with this roster and the makeup of this roster? Or did they feel like, you know what, the East is still up for grabs. We don't feel like there's a dominant team uh, with everything Brooklyn's going through. Let's go and try and add that 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 four and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Let's worry about today, right now. You know, Joe, you, you look at the schedule. You, you'll be in Charlotte tomorrow night, but then four straight at home with Minnesota, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, and Sacramento to get to the All-Star break. Right. Those are five pretty winnable games. Three of them absolutely be inexcusable to lose. <laughs> so I, I yeah. guess that San Antonio of... can yeah, San Antonio can make you stumble. San Antonio already proved that last week. You know, beating the the bull down there. 
Timberwolves, you don't know what team you're going to get from the Timberwolves. But, you know, again, a very little game. Um, Charlotte might be the toughest game on the schedule, and they're not, you know, 100%. And they're kind of reeling and not playing. You know, you talk about a team that doesn't have any interest in playing defense. That game tomorrow might be like 150 to 145. So, yeah, they, they should go into the All-Star break beating their chest. But um, I don't think there's any promises right now with the way they're playing yeah, I guess that's the concern because if they can do that, if they can win the next five, win four out of five, that's an eight-day All-Star break for them. Other than, of course, Zach Levine and 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 Demar Derozan and Ayo Desumno, I guess. Um, and and so you would think that that would be beneficial. Um, Zach Levine, he's a great player. He's an All-Star. There's no question about that. But I think one of the things yeah. that troubled me, and it's not his fault is he's been various injuries. I mean, he, he gets one thing healed, and then he comes back, it's, it's the back, it's the knee, it's, it's, it's this, it's that. Um, is that just his style and the pounding he takes, or is there a concern that, that he may be one of these guys a little more injury-prone than others? Yeah, no, I wouldn't call it injury-prone. I wouldn't file under bad luck either. I think it's somewhere kind of in between there. And I think this is a little different for him. You know, we all know it's at stake for him this summer. And I think if he puts soreness in the knee, that's going to be the thing that is a flag. He's got a big mistake. But I'm saying he is sitting out games to protect himself by any means. I think he, he's a good place hurt. But at the same time, he's being very smart about things. And, you know, we we all know the difference between max and super max. If he gets all NBA and is super max, that's a different, uh, that's a different area code money-wise. And so when he went out there and tried playing with the back um, the other night and only put up 15 points, that's not a super max performance. So all of a sudden he sat out a couple of games um, and, and decided to give that back some rest. So I think, yeah, he's, he's, he's a competitor. He's going to compete, but he's also a businessman. And there's a lot of, you know, business. He has to have option on himself. Because he knows what's at stake. And again, it's an all in pay. Then he's this that's that's a different kind of payday right there. That's you know, that's Bradley Bill, that's Russ, that's that's you're touching forty five, forty six million and and, and and feeling pretty good about generational money. Joe, I, I apologize. We're having a little trouble with your connection, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. I, I did I had a couple more bulls questions, but I can't let you go without asking. For those of you who don't know, Joe Colley uh, is quite the Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and we get to visit a little bit every time we get together on the air. Who's gonna be your quarterback, buddy? <laughs> I have no idea. No, I don't know if that's his phone breaking up or that's just Joe just really doesn't know what to say about it and has no idea. Joe, if you're still with us, I apologize, but I do think we lost you. We knew that that cell was breaking up a little bit. It happens every once in a while. But Joe Colley, guys, one of my favorite follows on the NBA, does such a great job for the Sun-Times. And you just heard some of the reasons why. Uh, yeah, the Bulls are, are, are limping a little bit now into the All-Star break. There's a lot of questions about how good they can be and will be coming out of that break. When will they get healthy? If they get healthy, will they be completely healthy come playoff time? Uh, they certainly have become far more entertaining and interesting to watch, having a great time listening to them. And my guy, Swirsk, Chuck Swirsky, of course, with Bill Wennington here on The Score. Um, and we will get a lot more on them as well going forward. Right now, we have to take a commercial break. When we get back, the phone lines are open again, 312 312- 
644-6767. Anything you've heard the last two and a half hours you want to talk about, something you haven't heard you want to ask about, whatever it may be, give me a call, 312-644-6767. Top of the hour was brought to you by DuckDuckGo, Privacy Simplified. We're back in just a moment right here at The Score. Thank you all so much for being here with me this evening. I am Hub Arkish. We've got about 20 minutes left. I checked in at 6 o'clock, and we've had a lot of lively discussion and great conversations so far, an outstanding lineup of guests. That's all because of Brandon Fryer. Brandon is my producer tonight and does just such an incredible job putting this show together. Uh, our production staff here at The Scores is the best, par none, uh, bar none, I should say. And uh, Brandon, working behind the glass, he's the guy you talk to when you dial us up at 312-644-6767. Brandon, thank you so much. Uh, we'll thank all of our guests one more time when we get to the end. But right now, I want to get in as many calls as we can before we go. also want to try and get to the text zone with a couple of your messages uh, the Tech Zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai Valgonquin. Save time. Shop online at rosenhyundai.com. Uh, real quick here at the end, uh, the, the most recent text, I should say, not at the end. Hub, is anyone concerned that we poached the defensive coaching staff from the Colts who couldn't beat the Jaguars in the final game of the season to go to the playoffs? That's from Ed in Aurora. Um, no, Ed. I, I mean, I get where you're coming from, but but when you talk about one game, um, uh, you don't chalk it all up to that. Matt Eberflus and his staff have done an excellent job for the Colts over the last four seasons. It's the body of work that you look at. Um, so I won't pretend that I didn't notice, you know, that, that they struggled a few times down the stretch when I thought they were a lock for the playoffs going into week 13 or week 14. Um, but I don't think it was on the defense, and I wouldn't put too much on that. Uh, Matt Eberflus was a, a highly thought of and, and, and uh, recruited candidate. And uh, and the fact that he's put his staff together from Indianapolis is because they did a good job there. So, no, I'm not as worried about that. And then from the uh, 847 area code on the uh, uh, the problem with the uh, clear, you know, racial inequity and in hiring for top management jobs in the NFL, uh, this text hub, the solutions include new incentives to owners to hire minority qualified candidates with immediate extra draft picks for this year. They need to put the Rooney rule on steroids and add new incentives that include extra draft picks for hiring qualified minority candidates. They are already doing that um, or offering those incentives in front office hiring. They probably do need to add it to coaching hiring again. Um, I, I just caution you, though, that, that then you get into the area of quotas. And I'm not saying it's not necessary. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it is a controversial and debatable subject. And so now uh, you're incentivizing teams to hire minority candidates who may not be more qualified or even as qualified as candidates, uh, well, white candidates. That's what we're talking about. Um, I think you're probably going to have to do some of it just to get closer to some type of equity. Uh, but it's not going to be well received in some circles. And so that's the problem, uh, you know, uh, that, that you have a, a, a $64 million question and it doesn't have just one answer. It's going to take a series of events. And, and I think that it's gotten so bad that the idea of com uh, compensating teams for making minority hires 
while it will ruffle some feathers, probably is going to be necessary and probably would be a good idea for as soon as possible. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. I think Keith may have been hanging on for a while. If you have, Keith, I do apologize for that. When we have our guests on, we can't get away to calls, but uh, I appreciate you hanging with us. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, uh, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, what can I do for you? So, yeah, it's something that I, I believe it was your guest, Mr. Pompey, uh, mentioned that uh, the NFL is hiring qualified candidates or they have no problem with the candidates that are being hired. And, and I think that statement in and of itself is biased. This, If you look at the last four hiring cycles of NFL hiring, I mean, just the profiles of it. It's, it's almost like an episode of The Bachelor. Well, I mean, what makes these people qualify? Sean McVay has a coaching tree out there, and he's only 36 years old. The notion that th- these candidates are more qualified than the coordinators of uh, Tampa Bay, uh, Kansas City, it's ridiculous. These guys have championship rings and everything, and – how could these guys possibly be more qualified? The the guy from Green Bay that got the Broncos job just got the job as a head coach. As a he was a coordinator that never called a play. They say mm-hmm. Kansas City's coach is being a uh, coordinator is being held back by not calling plays. The guy from Broncos jobs never called a play. The the Bears' new offensive coordinator has never called a play. And so there's this double standard in things, and they're getting called qualified they almost by just being friends of Sean McVay or Shanahan. It's this profile that they have that everybody is saying that just automatically makes them super intelligent. And so that's the problem I have with all of this stuff. Well, yeah, Keith, I don't think it has anything to do with being friends of them. I think you meant protégés, or co- and I'm not arguing with you. I'm just pointing out that, that um, and and the fact that, that, that Sean McVay is in his second Super Bowl in four years and that his opponent in this game is Zach Taylor, who was one of his protégés, who had only three years of NFL coaching position as a position coach um, and was never a coordinator and yet is in the Super Bowl in his third year. I mean, apparently these guys are qualified, you know, and and so um, uh, I think that there are minority candidates who are every bit as qualified and perhaps more qualified who are getting passed over. I'm not. I'm not debating that point with you. Um, but you know, this is this is an art. It's not a science when it comes to hiring these head coaches. And there are a lot of things that are taken into consideration. Um, and I'm not sure that you've provided great evidence that the guys who have gotten hired weren't qualified. I couldn't agree with you more that there are extremely qualified minority candidates who aren't getting hired. Um, but they come with the same questions as the, and, and I, 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 I almost feel bad just calling it black and white, but we are talking about white candidates uh, as, as the, the majority, if you will. Um, so uh, I, I, I understand your frustration. Um, I keep saying the same thing. The, the one that I can't get over is there's nobody who's going to tell me that Todd Bowles was not one of the three or four best candidates for the nine jobs that were open. And and not only did he not get one, he didn't seem to be close as near as I could tell from reading what was going on. 
and 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 I cannot find an acceptable answer to why that happened. Um, uh, Eric Bieniemy is a different situation. He's been in these cycles for the last three four years now and not come close. And 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 I don't think it can be as simple as the fact that he's a minority. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the show that a lot of getting hired as a head coach is how you interview. And I had some texter got outraged that I suggested that, that some of these black candidates weren't interviewing well. I made the point by saying Dave Tobe, a white candidate, apparently hasn't gotten the job because he apparently, according to some, didn't interview well. So it has nothing to do with black and white, but, but it does have uh, a lot to do with how these decisions get made. At the end of the day, there needs to be changes to the system that force the NFL to get closer to an equitable basis. And, and I think that the, what the conversation needs to be right now is what are those changes that are most likely to have some effect? And as much as I don't like it, the idea of awarding not just compensatory draft picks, but maybe even end of the first round, end of the second round to teams uh, that, that promote minority candidates at head coach and GM, uh, if that's what it takes to get closer to some equity, uh, then that may be what the league has to do. So, uh, Keith, thank you for the phone call. Let's get to Alex, who's in Batavia. Alex, how you doing tonight? Hey, how you doing tonight, Hub? Good, thank you. I appreciate you taking my call. So, sure. I just want to bounce over to the Bulls one more one more time. Yeah. I want to mm-hmm. say that it's more of a statement that I do not think the Bulls will be able to make a serious playoff run without them going after a power forward or a center to help out Nikola Vucevic. I would have loved to see them go against, go for like Sabonis or Turner, even a Jeremy Grant, Marvin Bagley. They have to have a four or five that can help out Vooch, especially going against the 76ers, Milwaukee, and some of these lengthier teams that seem to play bully ball against Chicago's weak defense. Well, Alex, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I am not an NBA expert. I'm a Bulls fan uh, and, and an NBA fan. And so I am not all that knowledgeable on what the best trade targets could be between now and the deadline on Thursday. Um, but the question I would ask is, what are you prepared to give up that doesn't weaken the team elsewhere? Um, because they're not a finished product yet. I don't think anybody's arguing that they're ready to play with those three top teams in the West. Uh uh, and so, you know, you, you give up to get, and, and I'm not sure because of the injuries where your area of strength is, you know, where you can afford uh, to make that move. So I, I think your point is correct. I think it's part of what Joe Colley was telling us, that they're just not good enough yet that they're going in the right direction. And it may be that they just have to get the best playoff experience that they can this year, whether that's winning one round or two rounds or or, or you know, not winning at all, whatever it may turn out to be, and then have another off season to, to further strengthen the roster to get to the finished package that, uh, you know, kind of show us and Eversley and and, um, uh, and the Donovan see it as being. We've got time to get one more in here, and we've got Mike out in Glendale Heights. Mike, how you doing? Yeah, nice to talk to you again. How about, I was just wondering if you might know anything about the Rogers situation. Is he going? Is he staying? It's just uh, I'm still really disappointed in that performance offensively in that playoff game against the 49ers. That's all on the offense, even though the special team had their blunder. But that game was 10-3 to forever, and they had numerous opportunities to change it around. It's just uh, – is it uh, – it might sound senseless, uh, I don't know if there's any point of bringing Rodgers back because you, you, 
he can't take the Packers to a Super Bowl and win it. Uh, what's your uh, what, what, what's your scenario on this? Well, Mike, uh, I, I'm sure it won't surprise you that Aaron Rodgers isn't talking to me right now, so I don't really have any deep insight, and and I don't know. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, that the, I don't think, I do know, uh, the Packers and, and Rodgers are not talking about this right now. The, the season just ended. Um, they are they are looking to, um, uh, you know, how do I say it? They're, they're, they're looking uh, to let things uh, develop, to figure out their salary cap issue, uh, to look at all the other free agents that they have to deal with. They're trying to let Aaron, I'm sure, think about it. Uh, a little bit as well, and and you're not going to get any answers for a while, unfortunately. I, I think Rogers has said as much as he's going to say at the moment, uh, rightfully so, because of respect for the game. They don't want to be talking about this with the Super Bowl uh, this coming weekend. Uh, you know, I, I think that Brian Flores, with his lawsuit, did what he had to do, um, and there wasn't going to be a good time. And I don't think anybody should be mad at him for doing it when he did. But I do know there is frustration with the league that if it could have just waited until after the Super Bowl, they would have been happier. That's obviously part of their problem and how they got to this mess in the first place. Um, but relative to Rodgers and the Packers, teams aren't going to be you know, going public with a lot of that right now. Uh, and I don't think they know. You know, I, I think they probably have a sense of where they think Jordan Love is and how close he may be. Uh, to being ready. They may even have a sense that he's not going to be the answer. I, I'm not saying that they do. I'm just saying these are the things that they're looking at. Um, but you got to understand, Mike, I mean, they are somewhere between 40 and $50 million over the cap. And that's without signing Devontae Adams, Devondre Campbell. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's a long list of key guys uh, uh, who are free agents for them. Robert Tanyan is a free agent. Uh, I believe Lucas Patrick is a free agent. Um, uh, now if Rogers were to move on, it would create some cap relief, but not enough, uh, to, to fix their whole cap problem. And they still don't have these other guys being re-signed. So it, it's hard to see a, a jigsaw puzzle or a scenario where they can keep it all together for one more year. And it may make the most sense to get what they can for Aaron Rodgers, but Rodgers is the best quarterback in football now. I don't think that's a debate now that Tom Brady is retired. And so if you can get one or two more years out of him and figure out a way to, to retain what you can of what you're about to lose, you were the number one seed in the NFC. Maybe you can do it one more time. Don't put too much on that one playoff game. Uh, you know, it was not a good performance, but Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. Um, so I think you're just going to have to find a way to be patient. I don't think we're going to know uh, until at least the beginning of free agency what they might be thinking, and hopefully by then we'll have some information. So, guys, I am out of time, and I, I regret that because it's so much fun getting to do this with you all, but it has been a great three hours. I want to thank the outstanding lineup of guests that Brandon put together for us. We had Patrick Finley of the Chicago Sun-Times stop by first. Next up, Dan Pompey, the Hall of Fame writer for The Athletic, was here. Nora Kirsten Walsh is a labor and employment attorney and expert in the field for Patrick Frank and Samotny right here in Chicago. They are my lawyers. I have not had to have a labor and employment attorney before, but visiting with Nora was really interesting as we got into some of the actual nuts and bolts of what Brian Flores' lawsuit is all about. Eric Edholm gave us the update from Mobile, and we got our bulls fixed from Joe Colley. Thank you all so much. Again, Brandon Fryer, incredible job producing as always. Cannot thank you enough. And most of all, 
to all of you who called, who texted, or just listened. You're the ones who make the show. You're what makes this so much fun to do. You're what makes the score the number one sports station in Chicago. And I cannot thank you enough for being with me tonight. Stay where you're at. We've got more great sports coming. CBS Sports Network is next right here at The Score. I'll talk to you again real soon. You all have a great night, everybody, and thanks for being with me. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.